Innovation is the word of the day. Every organization talks about innovating and hiring innovators. Well, how do you find such people, whether inside your agency or applying for jobs, and make sure they're able to, well, innovate? For one view, we turn to Entrepreneur in Residence at Consultancy BMNT and former Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency Innovation Hub Chief, Sabra Horn. Sabra, good to have you back. Great, Tom. Thanks so much. Glad to be here this morning. I think you've been on the show in a couple of different capacities over your career. So nice to have you as Entrepreneur-in-Chief at BMNT. And let's talk about innovation because it can be hackneyed the way a lot of people use it, but you have some specific meaning to it. Tell us what that is. Absolutely, Tom. I think we've all heard so very much about innovation over the past number of years. And we like to think of this way of talking about innovation as innovation theater. It's just words. It's not really any actions related to those activities. And so we've tried to really create a framework to help government and public sector officials and leaders bring innovation to their organization in a new way by utilizing a framework that helps people understand, here's how we can get things done, and here's how we can make a real mission impact. You know, I'm going to make an analogy to procurement. Because before you launch an acquisition or a procurement in the federal government, the reason they all go wrong, the ones that do go wrong, which is most of them, is the requirements were not set properly in the first place and kind of locked in. In innovation, I would think the hardest thing in some ways is knowing where you want to innovate in the first place and why you need to innovate in a certain spot. And just to not to be windy here, I want you to do the talking, but you would not innovate in, say, how to do tax preparation if that would lead you into an illegal situation, even though it might be innovative. Certainly laws are fundamental to ensuring that we're doing the right thing, but there are ways to think about what it is that we're trying to accomplish in our mission, regardless of the organization, and to really be able to think more broadly about the strategic goals of the organization, specifically the ways in which we'll be able to achieve our mission and to use innovation in a way to help achieve that mission. Certainly requirements and acquisition are fundamental to bringing in new and important commercial technologies to what it is we're trying to accomplish in the government. However, there are ways to use alternative means to acquire and procure innovations, technologies, uh, utilizing authorities that we hadn't had previously in the past number of years. So it's thrilling to see that government really has been able to figure out, you know, we can do this better, faster, easier, more simply, and sometimes just less painfully. Sure. And so how do you identify the people that might be capable of innovation? Because we tend to say, well, it's going to be the newcomers that are young coming in. They have all the innovative ideas. Mm -hmm. Could it also be old Joe there who's been sitting around and nobody realized what great ideas he has? There are so many people capable of thinking in an innovative way. And I think it's looking at core individual characteristics, such as accomplishing tasks with speed and urgency, understanding what the strategic mission really is, being able to think creatively and think about a multitude of solutions to a potential problem. We can identify people who are able to attack 
and identify problems much more quickly. And those people, regardless of their age or background, are well suited to innovation. And what makes a good manager, leader, executive, whatever, who understands that he or she is not an innovator necessarily, yet understands the need to make sure that innovation happens and therefore simply needs to nurture it, even if they're not that innovative themselves? Absolutely. I will certainly look to our CEO at BMNT, Pete Newell, because I do think he really brings perfect type of characteristics to the role of embracing and encouraging entrepreneurs and innovators. I think there needs to be a real bias to allowing people to do what it is that they think is the right way to approach things, being open to a wide range of solutions, letting people fail, which is so very difficult in government because we're always talking about taxpayer dollars and we have to be responsible in how we utilize taxpayer dollars. But unless we're able to try different things and to have not 100% success all of the time, we're never really going to be able to bring in true innovation. So I think uh, a lot of tolerance and patience is important in those types of leaders. We are speaking with Sabra Horn. She's entrepreneur in residence at consultancy BMNT. She's also the former chief of the innovation hub at CISA. Any examples you can think of where federal agencies have innovated because of ideas that grew organically within their own ranks? I will certainly say uh, we had some great examples while I was at CISA. I always think of a really great technology that we were able to identify within the Air Force, which had been used as an emergency communications tool on the battlefields of Afghanistan. Air Force actually realized perhaps there's domestic application to this technology and brought it to CISA. The lead for emergency communications, Billy Bob Brown, quickly recognized it was a technology he'd been trying to develop for over nine years. We were able to use alternative means to procure that technology in 18 business days, and now it is piloted and has been transitioned into use within CISA. I will also highlight Hacking for Homeland Security, which was an idea that grew out of a existing program within the Department of Defense, Hacking for Defense. It utilizes smart entrepreneur students within universities around the country to identify and solve difficult defense problems um, and to deliver back those solutions at the end of a semester to DOD such that they can use those solutions. We modeled a program at DHS on the same program, creating Hacking for Homeland Security, which brought together FEMA, TSA, and CISA to identify tough homeland security problems that we could then have smart students within those programs across the country solve. We came up with some amazing solutions I'll say at CISA, we came up with two great solutions, one to provide better information to small and medium-sized businesses to support their understanding of how to deal with cybersecurity threats, as well as a way to communicate more effectively with the public about how they can protect themselves against misinformation and disinformation. All right. So there are examples. I guess my other question would be then, when innovation is about to break out, sometimes the inertia and the need to simply get today's job done can overwhelm the idea of an innovation or a change, and it gets buried in the traffic, you might say. How do you avoid that, or how do you 
get the traffic out of the way so the innovation can charge forward. I think there are two key factors here. Number one, having understanding uh, within leadership of what the priorities are and how we can achieve mission is fundamental to identifying and seeing through the fact that innovation can help solve those mission problems. I would also say persistence is absolutely fundamental. We know that there are so many barriers to accomplishing important work within the government, just as there is in any organization. However, you have to have persistence in moving through the challenges and the barriers in the right way. I will also add utilizing stakeholders, partnerships in so many places can help us move forward and leap over boundaries that would be difficult to overcome otherwise. By having so many people brought into those solutions and understanding as to how you're achieving mission, you can really move through some important stumbling blocks. So it's possible in the federal sector. It's wonderful to look around and see all the wonderful organizations that have really embraced innovation and tried to utilize those ways of thinking, acting, and behaving to make some great things happen. I will salute Department of Defense in being a leader for a number of years in innovation. We have so many important organizations within Department of Defense, such as the Defense Innovation Unit, DIU, as well as the service organizations such as NavalX or AFWorks. We have a new Marine Innovation Unit standing up, and it's exciting to see some new ways of thinking within are important structures. Sabra Horn is entrepreneur in residence at consultancy BMNT and former cybersecurity and infrastructure security agency Innovation Hub Chief. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, Tom. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive while you innovate. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Hello, I'm WIPA CEO Shane Canfield, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Lessons in Leadership. I'm honored to be joined by Angie Bailey, founder and CEO of Ananda Life. Angie has a remarkable career in public service, beginning as a GS2 clerk typist with the Social Security Administration. And over the next 40 years, Angie steadily worked her way up through the government, ultimately becoming the Chief Human Capital Officer at the Department of Homeland Security. She's been recognized with presidential rank awards by two administrations for leadership, innovation, dedication and commitment to the country. Angie, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Shane. What a pleasure to be here. Angie, you've made quite a name for yourself as a leader in the federal workforce. Who was the first person you remember looking up to as a leader? And what about them inspired you? You I often think about this because, you know, sometimes we think of the people that we look up to the most as being somebody that throughout our career has, you know, been at the highest levels and all. But, you know, I've got to go back to honestly, whenever I was 10 years old, And uh, I remember I really wanted to play Little League Baseball on a boys team. I was the only girl. And interestingly, it was the women who would keep saying to me that, no, I couldn't play. And then one day, whenever I was there to sign up yet again, uh, there was this guy, his name was Delbert Beiser. And uh, I remember he had like red hair and he had a wad of tobacco in his mouth and greasy overhauls and everything. And he said, you know, I'll take her, I'll take her on my team. And, you know, just looking back on that, there's so many leadership lessons and things that I just really admire about him. And actually, I thought about throughout my entire career, he took a chance on somebody he didn't know. He um, put aside whatever conscious or unconscious biases that he might have had about having a girl on a team. He treated me the same, uh, whether 
you know, if I wasn't performing, I got benched just like the boys. I got no special treatment. And, and, and he was just really honest with me and he just included me in everything. And so looking back on it, you know, really it was Delbert Beiser, our local mechanic in our little small village that was, I think, my inspiration for going on to, I hope, become the leader, um, you know, that, that I wanted to be. I'd say half of the guests on this podcast have had similar stories where they reach back to either childhood or young adulthood. And I, and I think as leaders, it's really incumbent upon us to keep that in mind, that, that what we say and do, admit it, especially in the younger ages, really can have a lifelong impact. How would you describe your leadership style? And, and how has that developed over time? I would say that the one word that describes my leadership style is that I care. Um, I guess that's more than one word, but I care. Uh, I, I've always cared about the mission. I've always cared about the people. I've always cared, you know, about making sure that that they had what they needed or that they were developing the way, uh, you know, that they aspired to develop. And I tried to take this approach of not treating people the way I wanted to be treated, but instead treat people the way they wanted they want to be treated. And I think that that really kind of developed over my career. You know, I started out just like most leaders do where it's very results driven. It's all about the bottom line. You need to make sure that you get everything accomplished because, you know, that's what everybody's looking for, the goals, the metrics, et cetera. But I think as you mature and you go along, you start to, to your point, you draw back on those early childhood days or early adult young, you know, whenever you're a young adult and you say, you know, I think that there's a little bit more to this than just the bottom line. And so over time, I really began to, I, I think, see a much bigger picture and the entire ecosystem, if you will, and how the people themselves fit into all of this. And that ultimately, at the end of the day, it was all about the people. And so, I, you know, I think my, my maturity allowed me to then shift and focus more on the people than, than so much on results and bottom line. You've been recognized with two presidential rank awards two different administrations. You founded your own company. Tell us a little bit more about your background from the beginning and, and how did that lead you to where you are today? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting, like you said, that I started out as a GS2, a social security administration. I mean, what I really wanted to be was a criminal prosecuting attorney. It's, that's That was absolutely my dream. I sometimes joke and say what I really wanted to be was a mafia don, but that wasn't going to work out. So, you know, had to be a criminal prosecuting attorney. But, you know, I had to get a job to pay for college. I, you know, it wasn't in the cards that I was going to be able to go to college without a job. So I applied at the social Security Administration, or I'm sorry, at the unemployment office. And lo and behold, I got a job at Social Security. I didn't even know it was federal, to be honest. Uh, from there, I went to the Department of Defense and I found this, this career field called labor and employee relations. And honestly, it was as close as I was going to get to being a criminal prosecuting attorney. I didn't go on to be a, a criminal prosecuting attorney, but I went on courtesy of the Department of Defense to get both my bachelor's and my master's in leadership, because the whole study of leadership, I just find incredibly fascinating. Um, you know, from hi historical to current, uh, current times, I just, it's just something that's just really fascinated me. And so I just, I would say I'm a lifelong learner of leadership. And then I would say some of the other things that got me maybe where I am today is 
I never really said no to anything. If people asked me to take on a new challenge, even if I wasn't sure I was going to be successful at it, I would say, you know what, not sure this is going to work out, but more than happy to give it a try. And it always worked out. But I think giving things a try and just not saying no to opportunities is what really led from one position to the next. I feel like I was always rewarded for just stepping in or stepping up and taking on the challenges that sometimes no one else wanted to do. Angie, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Shane. It's such a pleasure. I I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity. Thank you. This has been the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm CEO of WEPA, Shane Canfield. Looking forward to talking to you next time. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at Pluralsight.com vision. <coughs> Cough and cold season is here. Introducing Ricola Max Throat Care, Ricola's most powerful drop yet. It's the best of Swiss nature wrapped around a powerful liquid menthol center for maximum relief from your worst cough and sore throat. Maximum nature for maximum relief. Try the new Ricola Max now, available in the cold and cough aisle. Ricola. It's in our nature.